Hello and welcome back to the Promethean Perspective. My name is Emily and I am the host of this podcast. But first and foremost, the ultimate host of this podcast is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one that runs the show here. He's the head honcho. So welcome back to the Promethean Perspective. If you're new, we are absolutely delighted to have you here. We hope that you enjoy your time listening here on the Promethean Perspective today. We cover an array of topics of more candid subjects and also heavier theological subjects that address church teaching, the moral issues of our time, and so on and so forth, the saints, devotions, everything therein. We talk about wonderful, beautiful things and just offer a life-bringing perspective on all of the topics uh, therein of the world in which we live. So welcome to the Promethean Perspective. If you are not new, welcome back. We are delighted to have you again and just being able to journey forward um, on our pilgrimage to heaven. So thank you so much for joining me for another episode here on the Promethean Perspective. Let's get into it, shall we? So today's episode is going to be a Theology Thursday episode. Thank you so much for joining us for a Theology Thursday. I truly enjoy doing Theology Thursdays because it is so uplifting to the heart and the mind to be able to talk about the beautiful truths of our Catholic faith. And today we're going to be talking about a very big, beautiful subject that I've been praying with for quite a while now, and I feel like the Holy Spirit is definitely prompting me to share this here on the podcast, so I hope that everyone is able to escape something beautiful and wonderful and encouraging or just constructive from today's episode, because we are going to be talking about man's end. We're going to essentially be evaluating what true beatitude is, understanding our own personal vocations, and then also we're going to be assessing the evangelical councils to be able to analyze the three stages of perfection in love, but ultimately we're going to be evaluating our motive for the moral life. So it's going to be a great episode. And like I said, I've been praying with this episode for quite a while now, and I definitely feel like the Holy Spirit is prompting some beautiful things here. But before we dive into today's episode, I'm going to be sharing with you what I am reading, what I am listening to, and what I am praying with. Let's get into it. All right, first things first, got to start off with the most important. Something I've been praying with is actually this beautiful consecration prayer to the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady, and it's in regards to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, so that particular spirituality. So I'm going to share it with you all here because, as I often do when I share these prayers, I like to share them verbally with the listeners. Not only can you find this prayer in the show notes, but also I just like to share the prayers here because it's a beautiful way to open up the podcast with our hearts and minds fixed upon the power of prayer. So, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Most Holy Mother, we consecrate ourselves to your Immaculate Heart with all of our body and our soul, we wish to be only, always, and all yours. And like children, we wish to remain in your heart, making it our home. Protect us always, for we know that you never abandon those who turn to you with trust and consecrate their lives to you. We pray to you to have pity on the home, which you yourself have chosen, as a gift, and to protect especially all who have surrendered their lives to you. Bless us, sustain us, and free us from the temptations of the evil one. Immaculate heart of Mary, be our home. Amen. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So like I said, that prayer will be in the show notes. And without further ado, moving on to something I've been reading. Um, so this book is um, called Carmel and Contemplation, Transforming Human Consciousness by Regis Jordan. I don't know if I'm saying that right. And Kevin Culligan. And this is produced through the Carmelite Studies. And it is a wonderful book. There's multiple volumes. And the one that I'm speaking of right now is volume eight. And it's so beautiful because particularly if you love Carmel or have a Carmelite spirituality, this book goes through on the tradition of Carmel, the reforms of Carmel, the role of Carmelites in the Western 
um, mysticism and the history therein. Um, it also goes through like the contemplative has iconoclast in the counterculture and nature of contemplation and contemplation and the recovery of the masculine and and just how to pray from the life and teachings of St. Teresa of Avila, but also um, St. John of the Cross. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful resource because it's the guidelines for essentially how to follow these wonderful, great, essentially 16th century Spanish mystics, such as Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross, with a Carmelite understand, uh, spirituality to be able to understand how the contemplative life, regardless of whatever walk of life we find ourselves in, fostering a contemplative nature within our heart is very assistive in a in our love affair with God that, that transforms our human consciousness and, as I often say, is able to lift our minds and our hearts to things of above. So today's book that I'm recommending is Carmel and Contemplation, Transforming Human Consciousness by um, Regis Jordan. So that is the book. And something I've been listening to has actually been uh, growing on me quite a bit. It's a podcast that I had heard about a little while ago, but never actually listened to it until my dear friend Audrey had mentioned that she was listening to it. And so I was like, well, if Audrey's listening to it, then it's got to be pretty good because Audrey's a pretty amazing person who's really intentional about pursuing sanctity. So I was like, I'm going to give it a listen. And it's called the Let Love Podcast by the Sisters of Life. And they are a religious community, I think, that are in New York, if I'm not incorrect. But it's essentially about the podcast is all about giving God permission in every aspect of your life to be able to let go and just to receive the love that God desires to give you. So, so as to free you to live in the truth of, of who you truly are as a son or daughter of God. And so the Let Love podcast uh, just allows you to have this really beautiful kind of insight into the sisters of life and their conversations, looking at all things essentially, as they say, through the lens of love. And so they just really drive home that, that reality that you are loved, that you are created and made in God's image, and that in the end, your life matters. And so they, they dialogue about all kinds of topics, but all through the, the lens of love. So that is what I've been listening to. And like I said, I have to give all credit to my dear friend, Audrey, because she is the one that introduced me to this podcast. But yes, that is what I'm praying with, reading and listening to. Without further ado, let us, let us, let us, let us, like, like the stuff, no, not the stuff you put on tacos. Let us get into episodes. If you know anything about me, when I get excited, I start to put words together and make words that don't exist. But without further ado, let us get into today's episode. Okay, as I mentioned, I'm very excited about today's episode, and it's one that I've been praying with and dwelling upon for quite a while. So if you want to, I guess, delve into this topic any further or just kind of understand the reference points points that I was bouncing some of these topics off of. I referenced a lot of Benedict the um, 16th uh, encyclical Spell Salve and John Paul II Veritatis Splendor. Um, I, of course, also referenced the Catechism of the Catholic Church, very important, uh, and the Summa Theologiae, particularly the Prima Secunda Partis, uh, Thomas's Question 1, and then also Human Nature as the Basis for Morality, mainly part three, section two of Catholic Christianity by Peter Kreef. So those are the ones that I referenced quite a bit in drawing some of the resources for today's episode and just kind of gathering a reference point. But at this point in the podcast, I think we've covered quite a substantial amount of information and we've definitely dialogued about what set men, what sets men apart from creation and, and the gifts that he has given, been given in particular um, that create the very reason for us to, to be able to dialogue right now about the moral life. Because 
there would be no moral consideration if man were not created free because man is a free and rational creature and we thus have the ability to choose good or evil right this is basic theology but we have to also consider what is good or evil so that we can help determine what is proper for man to choose we've also discussed this in our moral um, theology 101 episode we talked about how to discern what is good and evil and what is proper for man to choose and we also did an uh, episode on the particulars of the law of virtues and vice moral decisions grace and moral issues that we face in our modern day we've done a bunch of episodes on these prevalent moral topics so if you've not covered some of these basis grounds work etc episodes <laughs> i definitely recommend going back and giving them a listen because that'll give a little bit more stamina to what we're going to be talking about to about today so an, an obvious point that i don't think we've elaborated upon fully yet is that uh is the question of why like why are we living a moral life like of course yes because we should choose good over evil yes because god has revealed to us what is good and and what is inscribed upon our hearts but does that really answer the question like how many of us complete our requirements our work on time only because we should or because we know that there's a deadline exists what about other motivations such as pride in our work or the joy of an accomplishment because in fact what about the simple satisfaction of knowing that we do not have to do that work anymore once it is completed see it's truly remarkable the way that god has created you and i because among the manifold dynamics that make up our experiences and interaction with life you and i alone being creatures with intelligence and reason can choose to be happy or sad but I don't think we give ourselves the permission to frequently frequently think about everyday happenings such as I will I will choose to go to, uh, I don't know, the bathroom because it makes me happy. Or I will pick up this mess because it makes me happy. But in reality, we're mo- motivated by a, a specific reason. And clearly, as we know, there are three levels of desires within us. Some that are more basic on the level of natural functions such as food, sleep, going to the bathroom, etc. Like others are more complex, such as acceptance, forgiveness, um, friendship, fellowship, love. These desires drive us. And I think it's really important to take a look at motivations so as to really grasp why we want to live a moral life. Not just because it's right, but because why do we want to? So, of course, we have to begin with the beginning, which is understanding the words that we use on an everyday basis so if you were to look at the greek word for end or goal it's telos and the teleological account of human nature it's got that prefix telo in it it is called such because it's focused and framed by the goal of nature so when we speak of working towards a goal or an end we don't only mean the immediate or or what's theologically understood as the proximate end but we are actually speaking of our final end our proximate end is, is um, I guess, relative to the situation at the moment, such as, you know, accomplishing the reading of this particular sentence in a book. Your immediate end is to read, to understand the words, and to process the meaning. So let me apply it to what we're talking about here. So your proximate end is the end relevant to the situation at the moment. So such as understanding and comprehending the fullness of what I'm saying right now in this sentence. And then your immediate end is to listen, to comprehend the words, and to process the meaning of what I'm saying here. So you may have a larger goal or end which has to do with the achievement of of maybe 
wanting to learn more about your faith or just maybe you know me so you want to support me by listening to the podcast or whatever. But even the desire for any of those has to do with a broader vision. So learning, knowledge, the formation of your mind, uh, growth and friendship or a prayer community. But beyond that, perhaps the ability to provide for yourself through whatever this podcast can do can can only be acquired with with said knowledge that you gain does that make sense so then you would ask like why do you why do you do your work if you're in school why do you provide for yourself if you have a job and the answer would be so that you can live and and then we have to ask ourselves my dear brothers and sisters why do we want to live and this is where I think for a lot of people we stop we stop asking ourselves these questions because we don't necessarily want to know the answers or we don't know how to answer the questions or it may just feel like it's a rabbit hole but this kind of questions is why do we want to live really hits the nail on the head because life itself has an end and that final end is none other than God. And, and specifically that final end is, is to be with God. Communion. Come, yun, yin. Cum means with in Latin. Yun is one with God. One with. So communion with God, to be one with God, which we can name as beatitude because beatitude, as we know in in basic theology, is defined as perfect happiness. And this state of being is only possible in and with God. So man's beatitude is actually um, the state of response in God and ultimately in eternal life. And that is our telos, the end end towards which we should all be moving. And the catechism points out, I'm going to quote here from paragraph 34, that the world and man attest that they contain within themselves neither their first principle nor their final end, but rather that they participate in, capital B, being itself, which alone is without origin or end. Thus, in different ways, man can come to know that there exists a reality, which is the first cause and final end of all things, a reality that everyone calls God. And that's the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 34. But what's interesting is that Aquinas actually, you know, back in the... 1200s whenever he lived that he examined the desires of mankind and and he was able to articulate what motivates him towards a certain goal what, what motivates man and he understood that there were three levels of desire none of them were equal but all were driven by by what man essentially perceived was good to him man did not choose something that he thought would be bad for him he might understand that um that maybe like the action itself may not be the most uh, integral or good, but he would at least be choosing the bad action because he believed it was good for him. Uh, or while such a man might be incorrect, it shows us the rationale that we all experience. So like at the end of the day, we can all think of a time where we asked someone or maybe someone asked us like why we did something or why someone else did something that we shouldn't have. And the answer usually runs along the lines of like, well, he wanted to, or I felt like it, or so on and so forth. And, and while this is a very, very incomplete assessment of the motive, we could then understand that it was a desire for something, a, um, a disordered love that seemed that seemed that if, if I pursued this bad act, then, then I would uh, get this goodness. But in the end, that's not really goodness that that individual is pursuing. And so Aquinas gives us a lot of important instruction concerning desires. And he actually you know, really stresses the fact that all things in existence desire God as their end. Because when they desire some good thing, whether this is maybe an intellectual desire, a sensible desire, natural desire, so on and so forth, without any knowledge, because 
because nothing is good and desirable except for much as it participates in the likeness to God. And, and God creates creation in his image. And this nuance, I think, reveals that, that man maybe mistakenly determines that something's evil is good for him and then decides to do it. But ultimately, he is still seeking what is good. He desires what will make him happy, um, fulfilled, satisfied, at peace, etc. But this this um, yearning is not only an intellectual experience. It is truly woven into the fabric of, of who we are as human beings. And this is because we've already touched upon that we are, um, I guess, body and soul. Like, we've already... We've already understood that we are body and soul, and our soul, our form, is eternal and a great gift from God. But while we are to journey through this life on earth, I feel like I'm about to sneeze. No, I'm not. Moving on. (laughs) We are naturally aware, I think, that there is something more permanent, something even, even more real, even if it might seem intangible. So returning to what we were talking about, desire, we can say that man is is always seeking goodness and ultimately always seeking the ultimate good who is God. But that is in many cases distorted. And so man must, I guess, out of sincere necessity, like truly desire all, like whatsoever he desires for the, for the ultimate end. And this is evident for two reasons. I think first because whatever man desires, he desires it under the aspect of good. But also, if he desire it, not as his perfect good, I guess, which is the last end, that he must, out of necessity, desire as tending to the perfect good. Because the beginning of anything is always ordained to its completion. And so our telos, which is our end, our end is beatitude, our desires are driven towards the good, which is our end, which is beatitude. So, like, if we ever hear the church referring to us or has to herself like the church is referred to as a pilgrim it's because the spiritual aspect that our immediate home is 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 here in the church that that our immediate home is not here in the church but that is is our final home is the heavenly church is understood the church refers to herself as a pilgrim because she understands that here and now is not our home but but simply we are pilgrims and so with this in mind we can then move towards the goal and when we think about achieving our end, we are, are likely consider, I guess, the aspect of, of choosing good rather than enduring being made good. And, and I think St. Paul gives us extreme clarification that it is a both-and situation, that we are obliged to choose the good, but often choosing the good involves enduring until we are more perfect. So Romans 5, um, verse 3 through 5 states that not only that, but we even boast of our affliction, knowing that affliction produces endurance, and endurance proving character, and proving character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. That is like one of my favorite scripture passages. I love that whole interplay of of living for Jesus and what that looks like. And so, as we know, Jesus, God, is perfect and the ultimate good. And so, we therefore have our end with and in him, but, but that we have to be good. And as we discussed, I think, in past episodes, we are called to be holy. And holiness involves that practicing of, of dwelling with God here on earth so that we will be prepared for heavenly beatitude. If the Holy Spirit is permitted to, to live in us and to fill us with grace, with the virtues, but also specifically with, with charity, which is often titled as the ultimate virtue or um, the 
the mother of all virtue, that we must consistently live the good moral life, rejecting sin, choosing love. And this charity will then have the environment to remain within us and grow. So, so this is actually how the habits of virtues are formed and how they take a hold of our hearts. And growing in charity, as Paul suggests in Romans, is a gradual process. And one that, and I, I talk about this with my dear friend, Audrey, whom I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I talk about this with her quite often, that that the gradual process of growing in charity and dying to self is um, a vocation that covers the span of our whole lives, but one that we can consider in, in three stages, which would be endurance, character, and ultimately hope. Now, you could come up with different names, but these were just kind of the, the three titles that I kind of settled upon in prayer, that, that the three stages of endurance, character, and ultimately hope, which is the fruit of charity. So, uh, St. Jerome um, also in termed uh, certain stages has, I can give you the Latin ones, which would be incipientes, proficientes, and perfecti, which would be beginners, proficient, and perfect. But then I, I just wanted to give them a different kind of title of endurance, character, and hope, which is charity. So Jerome also touches on this, and he just likes to express that each stage has its own conditions, ethos, spirituality, and, and that all of these depend upon the condition of the individual soul. So uh, w- I guess in, that was a really weird noise I just made. I, I got the feedback in my headphones and I was like, okay, that was weird. <laughs> Moving on. Paul's terminology, I think, um, uh, delineates, I guess you could say, the stages of growth in the spiritual life, particularly with regard to how a person in each stage bears suffering. So in the first stage, the stage of, of what St. Jerome calls incipientes, which would which is what I kind of call endurance, uh, suffering is difficult to bear. And, and the suffering we experience feels like something to be endured, which is involuntary suffering, such as an illness, or voluntary suffering, suffering such as prayer, fasting, or, or almsgiving. So while often enriched with tangible physical and emotional consolations in small amounts, most suffering is difficult to bear. And people more, more often avoid difficult situations or penances rather than embrace them. Because this is the stage of one who has just been received into the household of God, like a... Like scripture tells us like a lost sheep, but who, like scripture also tells us, uh, is like a child that is only capable of small tasks. But these small tasks, like I guess the daily farm chores of a child, are still good in themselves and will ultimately help to prepare the beginner to take on more difficult tasks. So if a person perseveres through the stage of endurance, he can then advance to the stage of what St. Jerome calls the proficientes, or what I term as character. And in this stage... Not all suffering is a trial. So the person, I guess you could say, and this is really evident in the lives of particular saints, that the person has developed a resistance or resilience to the pain that is endured. So suffering, whether that be involuntary or or voluntary, still feels unpleasant because someone in the stage of character will begin to embrace embrace willingly um, some involuntary suffering and even take on voluntary ones. And this is just the stage of one who as it were, a spiritual adolescent. So an adolescent is a strong, is stronger than a child, as we know, and capable of more than a child, but is not quite ready for the responsibility of an adult, right? And and so adolescents still enjoy some of the benefits of, of protection as a, as a child, I guess you could say. And so I said, I use the word some, enjoy some of the benefits and protections of the child for just for just an, as an adolescent begins to lose some of the consolations of the child, so also the proficient loses the consolations in their suffering that are more proper to be getting. So, so if I can just clarify this, that like 
rather just has adolescence gradual uh, assumption of responsibility for himself or herself uh, correlates with a transition in appreciating uh, the parents for who they are rather than what they provide. And the, the same transition in proficientis helps one to begin to love God more for who he is versus what he does. So if a person perseveres through the stage of endurance, he or she can advance to the stage of what St. Jerome calls the perfecti, what I term as hope. And in this stage, suffering is not a trial, it is a joy. And and this is the stage that we most clearly see in the, the saints that, that lived, who are said to have joyfully endured many sufferings that come their way. And, and to have performed all manner of heroic penances. And this is the stage of one who is, as it were, a spiritual adult, adult relies on none of the consolations of childhood, but that he does all that they can out of love for God. That is not to say that, that such a one does not receive any consolations. Uh, you know, far from it, just as the life of an adult, though it involves a great deal of work and trial, trial is often um, enriched with deeper, more lasting joys than just, you know, fleeting joys of childhood. So also, this this is the same element in the spiritual life of the perfect. Though it involves a great deal of spiritual work and trial, it is enriching with the gift of contemplation and, and great mystical experiences that we understand many of the saints enjoyed. Saints, saints such as St. Teresa of Avila, St. Gemma, saints that suffered terribly, but that suffered with a desire to, to be able to give all to God. And, and I think that and for us in our Christian life, we know that that we are often, I think, in the stage of endurance or, or maybe in the in the stage of character. And for some, even the stage of hope. But we must keep in mind that the sufferings we experience, while while not you know, they may not always be physical, often they are, you know, denials or desires or, or negations or aspirations that are failed to be met. That we expect to get a job that we do not get, or we lose a relationship with someone whom we care deeply for, or we struggle to to pay bills and we wonder when things will change or get easier or when the crops will grow better or this is I mean this is the common experience of all mankind since the fall and since you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses as Hebrews tells us we are to rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us clings to us and, and to be able to perverse, persevere in running the race that lies before us while we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because he is the leader and perfecter of the faith. So we are to like endure our trials has discipline because God treats you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. Make straight your paths that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed. And so this is just a little tidbit into Hebrews 12 because here we can truly grasp what it is the cause. What is the cause for our joy when we are enduring hardship? That it is the fruit of that suffering that we expect with joyful hope. The fruit of the trials that we endure is detachment from sin. That it's it's strength and courage and faith and virtues, self control and and humility. That it, it grows our trust in faith in, in, in God and faith in God's providence and mercy. And that all aspects of, a, aspects of a child who is being made more perfect in love. And this is tangible growth in charity. And this is a means to our end. But this brings us to the matter of personal vocations, but also the evangelical councils. And so we've already established that we all have a personal vocation to holiness, Right. And, and this is also a common vocation for the whole church, the people of God. This is the impetus for our evangelical 
evangelization, evangelization, I was going to say evangelicalization, but I don't know why I said that. Evangelization, evangelicalization. That is not the correct word. The correct word is evangelization. And um, I totally lost my train of thought. What is it saying here? Oh, the vocation for holiness is the impetus for our evangelization and uh, I guess you could say proclamation of the gospel in our in our present society. But but I think that there have there's not been enough um, matter content t- teachings address the practical means of living that life of holiness. I think there's a lot of conversations surrounding the universal call to holiness, but I think the practical means of living that life of holiness, I don't think there's enough addressing of that because there's been debates over the course of the church's life over who is called to what stage of spiritual perfection. And and no one should ever deny that all are called to some stage of perfection. Um, but one cannot be saved without love. And the stages themselves are but degrees of love. And so someone without love is not in any of the stages. But over, over the course of centuries, you know, a large population and a large plethora of Catholics have been of the opinion that uh, laity are called to be uh, what St. Jerome terms as incipientos, or incipients, which only priests and religious are called to proficience or perfecti. And so this opinion arose from, I think, a lot of confusion over several passages in Scripture, such as Matthew 19, um, Mark 9, and um, Matthew 19, uh, verse 16 to 30, uh, where it talks about I guess the importance and the beauty of a religious life and a priest, but but it's important that in none of these passages, Jesus doesn't. I mean, it, I mean, I can understand why people think this or why the laity have had this opinion that religious and priests are the only ones called to perfectius and perfecti. But in none of these passages does Jesus mention that what he enjoins is necessary for salvation. But he mentions that voluntary poverty, celibacy, obedience are for those to whom they are given, for those who would be perfect, for those who would be first. And so these teachings are known as the evangelical councils because our Lord enjoins them in the gospel, hence why they're called evangelical, but but because they are given as advice and not commands, hence why we use the word councils. So the church has instituted a stated life ordered around the councils and the perfection toward which they lead. But this is this is known as the consecrated life whereby people live by voluntary not involuntary but voluntary vows of poverty um celibacy and obedience and so seeing the religious life and the manner in which it has helped so many people um many people i think mistakenly assume and still continue to assume that if religious life um if if religious life um, is ordered around the councils, and if the councils are required to reach perfection in the Christian life, then only religious can be perfect in the Christian life. But the reasoning just given contains a logical fallacy. Like, it's it's not the case that just because religious live a life intentionally ordered around the councils, that only religious can observe them, and only religious can reach the perfection towards which they tend. Like, for instance, right now, I am not a religious, but I still aim to practice obedience to my parents. I still um, live a life of celibacy. I don't, you know, uh, act promiscuously. I remain celibate and I try to remain uh, living a life of poverty by not living outside of my means or or utilizing material entities that I don't need. But am I religious? No, because Christ proposes the evangelical councils in their great variety to every disciple. 
regardless if I'm a religious or not, I still have the opportunity to voluntarily live a life of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And I think that's really important to stress because I don't think a lot of people realize that today, that they have that personal vocation to holiness and thus this personal vocation is to, to the evangelical councils. And so I guess two things I want to just touch on in regards to personal vocation and, and suffering is that first, it means that, um, I guess the fact that the state of perfection can be reached with in ordinary daily life has led to to no little confusion in recent years. Like, it is common to hear that because the perfection of charity is attainable within the daily lives of the ordinary, lay faithful, that oftentimes one becomes holy by performing the ordinary duties associated with that state, right? So this line of reasoning, too, um, contains logical fallacy. Just because one can reach a state of holiness without... Uh, I guess within ordinary daily life does not mean that a given individual necessarily does. So like St. Paul in his first letter explains that one is approved if mindful of God, he endures pain while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you, if when you do wrong and are beaten for it, you take it patiently. But if when you do right and suffer, you take it patiently, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you with an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no guile was found on his lips, and when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he trusted to him who, who judges justly. He, but he trusted to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And that's from the, the first letter of... Uh, St. Peter chapter 2 verse 19 to 24. So I think what's really important to note here is that, excuse me, I'm going to get some water because it's very important to stay hydrated and water is delicious. I've said this before in the podcast. Water is phenomenal. I'm a fan of water. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of H2O. Moving on. I think what's really important here is that the scriptures reveal that it's not what we suffer, but how we suffer. And our daily lives, my life, your life, your friend's life, your spouse's life, your child's life, all entails many trials. And no one is exempt from that because it is part of the nature of life as human beings. And, and everyone goes through daily life, but not everyone becomes holy. It, only, only by enduring with patience the suffering of our daily life can we develop like a healthy, hearty spiritual character only by embracing the sufferings of the daily life with an abundance of love. And only then can we advance to the hope of the saints. So in short, the universal call to holiness is not a universal acclamation of holiness. It is an invitation to, to, to all to advance to the love of the saints. But Christ specifies that he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And this is a saying which the Apostle Matthew confirms when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. And that's written by St. Paul in Romans chapter 8. And so, I guess the, the aspect of personal vocation to suffering leads us to the fullness of law. And this return leads us to a return of some of our previous episodes where we encountered the laws governing the universe. And I think it's f important to, f to understand the question of, of while there are specifics of such precepts that are no longer relevant, what if we argue that the spirit of such precepts 
remained absolutely necessary for discipleship. And I think we would first consider that many of the followings, followers of Christ have offered a specific oblation, a, spe- a specific imitation of their Lord by meeting a martyr's end to his life. Yet we would also be able to point out that there have been many dedicated servants of Christ who have not imitated the Lord in this fashion. So it is certain people's work in the everyday toil of their lives that end up bringing, being the fragrant offerings, the sweet oblation of martyrs. And this is very important for us as we live in modernity. Modernity is, oh my goodness, extremely hungry for us to accept you know, relativistic perspectives on morality and ethics. And, and the law of rationalism has the highest good would squash our concept of humble obedience has a way to freedom. And, and would essentially like laugh it away as nothing more than a childish, you know, myth, if you will. And so this is why we must keep in mind that Christ gives us a new law, clearly states that this not, new law does not remove the old law, but fulfills it, but also lives or even more accurately, is of himself the perfection of morality. So different approaches to theology, whether that be from different denominations or just different you know, intellectuals within Catholicism, there has been a lot of um, debate whether orthodoxy and orthopraxy truly comes first in morality. While both arguments have strengths, the strongest appears to be that they belong hand in hand, and proceed ultimately from grace. And we know that one who is the truth, to be able to follow the way of the truth and to live according to the truth, yet one is personally encountering the one who is the truth in order to learn this way. And I think this then helps uh, unfold the drama of what we're talking about, the attitudes that, that, you know, Cardinal Ratzinger wrote that in Pauline preaching in particular, there's an intimate connection between faith and imitating the apostle who in turn um, imitates Christ. And, and this is put very clearly in first Thessalonians, as you learn from us, how you ought to live, do so more and more for, you know, what instructions we gave you to the Lord Jesus. So, so this unfolds what we're talking about in, in regards to Beatitudes, that these positive statements of moral actions are so concerned with our sanctity, our happiness, our Beatitude, because they define the qualities of the person whom we must come to love, Christ. Christ who is meek, Christ who is humble, Christ who is the peacemaker, who is the firstborn son of the father, merciful, and the one who lays down his life for his friend. And Hans um, Hans von Balthasar, a prominent figure in Vatican II, he has a lot of amazing works and just, um, I guess, summaries of the Vatican and, and writings and manuscripts from before and after. But he really summarized that Christ's concrete existence, that his life, death, and suffering um, ultimately... Um, bodily resurrection surpasses all other systems of ethical norms like in the final analysis it is to this norm alone which is itself the prototype of perfect love um, and perfect obedience to god the father that the moral conduct of christian has to analyze as it has to this norm alone which it itself is the prototype of, of what am i trying to say here that we must learn that while the guidelines of moral law give us important and necessary instructions for how we rightly and justly interact with others, we have to be quick to understand the concretely shaped um, importance of the image of the Lord by the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that if we can but learn to have humble hearts and obedient hearts, that we can willingly take on the sufferings and struggles of this life and enter in the crucible of discipleship, you know, being able to offer our own selves as an oblation, then we find 
the good fruit of holiness richly growing within. And the moral life will no longer be a checklist of do's or don'ts, but is, is a breath of freedom, a joyful foretaste of beatitude here on earth because it answers that question of why, what is my end? And so, the, the you know, as the catechism points out over and over, you know, the dignity of the human person is rooted in his creation in the image of God and it is fulfilled in his vocation to divine beatitude. I was recently talking to a dear friend of mine about how our vocation is, as St. Teresa, uh, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity often says, our vocation is um, to let yourself be loved. Your vocation is this. So that in pursuing love, the vocation we have as human persons rooted in the dignity of creations of God, we have a vocation to love and to let ourselves be loved. And this really points to man's ultimate vocation because it is through Christ, through his church, through the grace of the Holy Spirit, the merciful love of God, that we are Christian children. And may we all progress towards our eternal home because there is no other path for our feet that the, than, than the one that Christ has already walked. And we must be willing to follow his footsteps. You know, and moral living is more than simple obedience to laws and more than you know, litigations and, and whatever of the Pharisees that lead to Christ chastising them for the hardness of hearts. Like we are given the law that we might know what is good and whom is good. And in knowing these things that we, that we should pursue good and above all love the good. And so I think that Mark sums this up perfectly in chapter 12, where he sums up the moral life is none other than the great commandment. Jesus replied, this is First is this, hear you, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, because there is no other commandment greater than these. So, dear brothers and sisters, let us not be afraid to take up our cross and follow him, to pursue our vocation to the universal call of holiness, to pursue our vocation of beatitude, perfect happiness, with Christ forever and always. Let us live the moral lives, not because we have to, but because we want to. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode here on the Promethean Perspective. Remember, if you have any prayer intentions or topic requests or inquiries about a previous topic, you are more than welcome to send those in at the um, Promethean Perspective email that we have on the website. I pray that you will all um, continue to just serve and glorify the Lord in whatever way you possibly can, and that Our Lady will continue to wrap you very closely um, to her her most beautiful, immaculate heart. And I look forward to chatting with you all again next week. Um, but until then, God bless, pursue sanctity, and I will be praying for you all.